All right. Good morning, City Light. How are we doing? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, glad that you're here. Happy New Year for those of you who weren't able to come out last week. I uh, just want you to know um, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, maybe some of you have tried the gym a few times, it didn't quite work out for you, and now you're trying church, all right? So whatever it might be, uh, we're glad that you're here. Whatever your reasons might be, we're glad that you're here. We hope this time blesses you, uh, and we hope that we can help you on your spiritual journey. And wherever you are at in life, we welcome you. Uh, my name is Nate. I'm one of the pastors here. I would love for you to fill out a Connect card if you are new or if you're exploring these things or if you've even been coming for a while and you've been stiff-arming, getting to know people. Uh, go ahead and fill that out. We want to help you. We want to connect with you. We also want to give you a gift, and so you can drop that off on your way out after the service. Uh, if you haven't yet gotten a face-to-face -face prayer guide, could you please raise your hand? And we'll have someone over there bring them to you. Rachel is going to go ahead and do that. Thank you, Rachel. And so raise your hand. Keep your hand held high. It might take a minute, all right? Just, you know, it'll be good. It'll be good exercise. Uh, we'll bring you those journals, the face-to-face -face journals. Uh, they're what we're using for these 21 days of prayer and fasting to help you spend time with the Lord, to help you be purposeful and intentional about how you spend your everyday uh, 21 days. And so please use that. Uh, they've been done really well. Props to Rachel and John, who did a great job. Uh, and uh, they'll be really helpful to you. So this is our second week of our 21 days. I uh, hope some of you who have committed to doing this, you might be in the, the sluggish part of it where you're chopping through the first seven days. Uh, and the Lord is certainly going to work. I ask you to continue and to press forward. Uh, for many of you, maybe you haven't started yet. And some of you might think, well, I didn't start. I can't do the whole 21 days. What's the point, you know? That's the devil talking, okay? Don't do that. You get 14 days, okay? If it's a 14-day fast, that's better than a zero-day fast, all right? So uh, find something in your life. The, the book helps you guide through it. It doesn't have to be food. Uh, it can be lots of things. Just for you to be able to take these 21 days and give the Lord more of your time and your attention and your focus. And I'm just promising you, watch the Lord change your heart, change your life, and begin to draw you close to him. Uh, we've been doing Restore a little differently on Thursday nights. We ask that you join us 6.30 for our prayer and worship meeting. I think you would enjoy that. And then I want you to mark your calendar on January 22nd for Immerse, which is our 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., 12 hours of prayer and fasting, which we do three times a year and which we do at the end of our 21 days during the beginning of the year to kind of solidify our time. So come for the whole time, come for half of it, come for an hour, come for the beginning, come back at the end, and whatever it is, okay? It's just going on. And so please open your calendar and come join us as we kind of soak in the presence of God and join in what the Spirit is doing to give him our time and our attention during that day and solidify what God has been doing. I'm going to ask you at the end of the service to respond by writing something down on an index card. So I just want you to be mindful of how the Lord might be speaking to you as we open up the Word of God together today. Uh, before we jump in, I have some good news. And so last month in December, we were talking about uh, raising the funds for the money, the 100K match, where somebody promised to match up to 100000 And we were going to use that, hopefully $200,000 total, uh, to begin to work on the restoration house for vulnerable women who are transitioning out of hard situations. Uh, uh, to help build the community center for La Roca Ministries in Tijuana, Mexico, one of our partners, uh, and to begin funding the preschool, which we're piloting next week, right? January 18th, was it two weeks? Whatever the math is, so that, that's next week, yeah. 
uh, which we are piloting, and we hope to serve a long-term purpose of really engaging our community and providing spiritual and educational formation. Those three main things amongst a million other wonderful things that we can do, uh, as many of you saw with our Blessing Bonanza, being able to help just local families in need, local organizations in need, and international partners in need. This is what we came here to do. We talk all the time that services are a launching pad, not a landing place. We didn't come here just to start another service for Sunday, uh, but to be servants in our community and to do the best we can to be God's hands and feet. So to that end, we were raising the 100000 for the 100000 match. And so I have some good news for you this morning. Go ahead and do a drum roll for me. Come on, come on, get involved, all right? By God's grace and through your generosity, we raised, this is no joke, $535,000. So yes, all praise to the Lord. Uh, I about fell over when I saw that. I, I didn't even know. It was certainly not what I was expecting. Uh, we've never had a December like that uh, in our entire history as a church, which has been two years. And so there hasn't been that many. But um, uh, the Lord was just overwhelmingly gracious. And so first of all, I just want to say thank you uh, for your generosity, your commitment to what God is doing here at this church. Uh, no matter the size of the gift, the smallest to the largest, it all honors the Lord equally if it comes from your heart. And so you have been a participant in what God is doing here in that way. And I thank you for that. I also want to affirm, I just want to say this over and over again, because it's how it works, that God gives seed to sowers. And that if we're a people who sow the gospel and are sowing God's good deeds into the community, uh, when we got a bunch of extra money than we were thinking, the first thought wasn't, okay, let's save it away. The first thought was, okay, who can we bless? You know what, what ministries can we support? Uh, many of you might know there was a big natural disaster in the Philippines. We sent out an email. Uh, and so we gave a bunch of money already, but now it's, okay, how can we begin, uh, continue to help restore what God is doing there? And it's cost $100 to rebuild a church. We're like, how many churches can we rebuild? Uh, all these wonderful things. And so this is not just true for a church, it's true for your life, uh, that God gives seed into sowers. And so we're going to continue to commit uh, to being sowers of the gospel, sowers of the good news, uh, sowers of uh, happy moments for families, sowers of restoration, sowers of healing in Jesus' name. We're going to continue to commit to that. So hopefully I'll have some new things to report on some new ventures and some ministries that we're able to partner with over these next couple of weeks as we ask the Lord what he wants us to do with some of this additional funding. Uh, we certainly want to use it unto his glory and to advance the mission around here. And so so once again, I'm just thankful to you. I hope it's a sign of God's grace on this church and what he's doing. And I just want to encourage you to continue to press in on what God is doing in your life and what God is doing in this church and to live by that principle of life that God gives seed to sowers and continue to invest your life, your energy, your time, your talents, your money, your thoughts, your words. Invest those in the kingdom of God and watch God multiply those over and over again towards some good cause for his will and his glory. Uh, and so praise the Lord for that. Uh, we're considering, you know, in uh, 1 Chronicles 29, uh, when they received this huge offering, David runs a prayer, a Thanksgiving service, basically. Uh, and so we're going to plan a time to do that together as a church, just to say thank you for him. We'll keep you in the loop on that. So today is our, our second week of pursuing the presence of God as we talk about what does it look like to live face-to-face -face with God. Last week, we talked about pursuing his presence. Uh, what does it look like to have the secret sauce of life? And so if you missed that sermon, I think it's very essential for you to go back and listen to it on YouTube or podcast so you have a good understanding 
of what we're after in these 21 days as we pursue the Lord face to face. And really the reason for that is because the presence of God is the secret sauce of life. It is the very thing that you are made for and the thing that some of you have been looking for in all the wrong places and hopefully you might find today in the name of Jesus. We took a, light, we took a look at the end of Moses' life for these next 21 days. We're gonna look at different aspects of Moses' life because he was described in Exodus 33 as a man who knew God face to face. The end of his life, it describes Moses as a man full of vigor and strength, full of zeal and full of life. And we, see, we saw the reason for this was because he lived his life face to face with God. And so we asked the question, where is the path of life taking you? I hope you took some time to consider that, to write it down, to think it through. If I continue to maintain my habits and my way of life, where will I end up? I may say I want to be close to God, but is my rhythm and path of life going to lead me towards being close to God? I may say that I want to rely on God's own strength, but is my rhythm and habits of life leading me to a place where even as I get older, I grow in my love and my relationship and my zeal for the Lord? Is my rhythm of life leading me towards those places, or is it leading me towards other places of emptiness and struggle. And so I want you to consider where is the path of life taking me? The second question we ask is God over there or is he right here? Is your relationship with God more like a Zoom call? It's true, it's there, you can see it, it's a fact, you're not questioning it, uh, but it doesn't have the relational power and the intimacy of it being like in your living room. Is God over Zoom to you or is he sitting right next to you on the couch? These are some of the things we begin to consider as we navigate what does it mean to be face to face with God to pursue God's presence. Today, we're gonna to look at the flip side of this, not just the positive aspect of being in God's presence, but the negative aspect of not having God's presence. And so today's sermon is entitled, The Problem Without the Presence. How many times in life, and we do this almost every day, where we realize something is wrong and we either say it to someone or we consider in ourselves, what's the problem? Okay, turn to your neighbor and say, what's the problem? And say it like they're looking at you funny. Say it like, you know how when your spouse looks at you and you're like, I don't know what I said, but I'm, I already know I said something. You say, what's wrong? You know, like, okay, you're trying to figure it out. Say it like that. Okay, what's the problem? What's the problem? Some of you might need more self-awareness that you have a problem. And probably for most of us, we recognize there's a problem, but maybe we haven't identified what the problem is. Our life isn't working like we thought. The things that we are trying aren't doing what they are supposed to do. We haven't really figured out really the meaning and the essence of life. Maybe we thought that we did, and maybe we have the right answers to all the Bible questions, but it's not actually leading towards the reality in my life. And so you answer the question, what's the problem? How is it that I can come to church every Sunday for an entire year, and I don't seem to have grown very much? I don't understand what's the problem. How is it that there's still this great emptiness and deep sorrow in my soul, although I'm trying to do the right things? What's the problem? How is it that I succeeded at everything the world would tell me I needed or wanted, and I finally got all of it, and I felt as empty as ever. What's the problem? What's the problem? Well, here's what we need to consider. A few weeks ago, my washer, not a few weeks ago, a little while ago, my washer broke, okay? So my washer in my house, this is a problem. I have six children, okay? So we do mounds of laundry every three seconds, all right? And my whole life is, is preaching and doing laundry, okay? These are, the, these are the two things I do most consistently with my time. And uh, my wife and I spend our quality time folding laundry on the bed, you know, and watching a show. This is how we, this is how we spend our nights. So this is what it looks like at six. So there's just lots of laundry. So imagine what happens in my house when the laundry breaks, when the washer breaks. This is a big problem, okay? And so we had to diagnose because what would happen is it would say error, error, you know? And the clothes would be soaking wet. Like you 
just pulled them out of the pool, you know? And so it wasn't rinsing or whatever. It wasn't doing what it needed to do. So I took about three minutes. I looked at it, realized I couldn't do anything to help, uh, which is fairly normal, you know? I feel like there's one thing God has told me to do is to preach the word. Everything else I'm not very good at, okay? So uh, this is what I saw I got, all right? And so I tried, I looked at it, and I thought, if I try to fix it, I think I'm gonna break it more. And so this is probably not a good idea. So we brought somebody in. We said, look, the clothes are coming out like they just got out of a pool. It says, error, error, error. I don't know what's happening. Uh, And so somebody smart looked at it. He was able to identify the problem. And the reason why this was happening was because there was a little opening in the drain. I still don't even know what, I don't know where the drain is in there, whatever that means. But there's an opening in the drain and a bunch of socks were going in the drain. And so the socks had clogged up the process of the water going in and out. And so if you ever wondered where all your socks are, you may want to check the drain in your washing machine because he pulled out like 50 socks. We were like, you know, the, the problem of the mismatched sock, you got one, you don't have the other. Well, we solved that problem, okay? So the mystery of life, where are my socks? I have the answer to the mystery of life. They're in the drain part of your washing machine uh, and it hasn't gotten clogged up enough for you to notice yet. And so he pulls all these socks out of there uh, and he's like, well, the reason is the drain, the socks, he pulls them all out and then he figures it out and he says, well, this is what you look for. This is how you keep that from happening. Blah, 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 blah. And he goes on to clarify for us how to continue on so that our washer can be fixed. And so we spent about a week without our washer, which was one of the worst weeks of our life. And we have moved on from there. But what I want you to consider today is much like those socks had clogged up the washing machine, and the washing machine wasn't able to do what it was intended to do, and we had to understand and diagnose the problem. For so many of us, there are little things, there are little things in life, maybe things that we haven't considered, but they are clogging up our spiritual life so that it's not doing what it's intended to do. And so often you come in here, or when you ask yourself, you say, well, what's the problem? Why is it not producing what I thought it would produce? Why is my journey in life not going where I thought it would go? Why are my habits not doing what I thought they would do? Why are these things not creating what I thought they would create? Why am I still in the position that I am? Why am I still feeling the way that I'm feeling? How am I still... And you're asking yourself all the time, what's the problem? But your diagnosis has been self-determined and what you need is an outside source to come in and identify what's really going on. Because no matter how much time you spend, you're not gonna be able to understand it yourself. And what we need is the Holy Spirit to come in and say, well, these are things that are getting in the way. They're clogging up the spiritual life and you're not able to do or not able to experience what you are supposed to experience. One of the reasons for this, as we're gonna see in the life of Moses, is that the problem we have is that we go through the motions of life without the meaning of life. That we go through the motions of life without the meaning of life. So just like you could go through the motions of the washing machine, it would do the things it was supposed to do for a while, but the meaning of it wasn't attached. The real work was attached. You go through the washer and the clothes come out the same as they went in. And so you ask the question, well, how in the world does that happen? And it's because something's going wrong on the inside. And so it is for us. We can go through the motions of our life. And I'm talking to many of you who are so good-intentioned, well-intentioned, wonderful people. And you're going through the motions of your life, trying to go to church and be a good parent, be a good, be a good, be a good boss, be a good employee, be a good student. You're trying to do the nice things that you're supposed to do and be kind. And you're going through, even trying to pick up your Bible, you know, here and there, and then you go through, time and time and time, and you're going through all these emotions, but the product of becoming a different person just isn't there. And you wonder, what in the world's going on? How do I keep going to church, and I keep struggling with this, and how do I keep doing this? And the things that I thought would happen when I actually implemented these things aren't happening when I tried to be this kind of person. They aren't changing anything. And the reason for so many of us is that we go through the motions of life without ever attaching the meaning of life. And the meaning of life is to have a relationship with the living God.
That's the secret sauce of life. And so to do anything outside of or not conscious of the, this reality is to totally miss out on the motions. You can come to church and never cognitively think, I'm here to meet with God and totally miss out on the point of church. And if you come every Sunday and say, I hope to get some good advice and to meet some nice people and to have a good experience, those things are wonderful, they're okay in and of themselves, but the point of coming here today is that God would manifest his glory and make his presence known in your life through the Holy Spirit, through gathering with other like-minded people, that you would have an encounter with the living God. And you can do that even if my sermon's bad. An encounter with the living God is what you need. An encounter with the living God is why you should come to church. And so then you can come to church 52 times in a year and knock all the checks off the box and learn some good advice and apply some good principles to your life. But if you never came with the intention that you would meet with God, then you will go through all the motions and completely miss the meaning. You open up your Bible fairly consistently, you're trying, but the main idea for you when you open up your Bible is to get some good ways to live your life and to maybe feel bad about some of the things that you do and all these different things to understand. But the point of opening up your Bible is that you would speak to and hear from the living God as a friend, that you would grow in a relationship with him. And so you're trying to be a good Bible reader, but you go there for good advice and you miss the meaning. And so you're going through the motions, but you're not attaching the meaning and you get frustrated and empty. This is true in spiritual things and good things when you're trying to be the person that you know you want to be. And this is also true when you're completely ignoring that and trying to be whatever you want to be. You're going through the motions of life, trying to find joy and purpose and peace in all the places the world tries to find it, to do it this way and to do it this way. And it's simply not working like you thought it would work. And the reason for this is because you're going through the motions and you have not attached the meaning, the point and the meaning of life is that you would have a relationship with God a real relationship with God, not an idea of a relationship and not some random sort of figurative, ambiguous feeling of a relationship with God, but that you would know him face to face. And until you're living with God face to face, you are going to miss out on the meaning of life. And it won't matter what motions you do, even if they're churchy and spiritual, because the whole point is to meet with God. And so this is what the Lord is after in us, that we would find and enjoy this real, vibrant, zealous, encouraging, life-giving relationship with the living God. And so we're going to consider what is the problem when I operate without that, when I try to live my life apart from that, what turns out, what does that look like? So Exodus 2, we're going to look at a little life, little part of the life of Moses to understand. Verse 11 says, one day... When Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and he looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and he looked that way and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and he hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together and he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? Which is a funny question to ask when you just murdered someone. He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid. And he thought, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh. He stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came, and they drew water, and they filled the troughs to water their father's flocks. 
The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father Ruel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son and called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and their cry for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and these are very important words, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew And so for context's sake, for you to understand, this is where we're stopping today. The people of Israel had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. The people of Israel are God's chosen people from the line of Abraham, and they had become slaves in Egypt, and they had been so for a very long time, and they had been crying out for deliverance. So Moses was born as an Israelite, a person of Israel, but... For many of you that are familiar, obviously, the baby in the basket story, he gets put away, and the Pharaoh's daughter finds him. So though he's born as an Israelite, he's raised in the house of Pharaoh as the son of of his daughter. So born an Israelite, raised in Pharaoh's house. Now, his life would have made a really good reality show, you know? If you ever answer, it's complicated, when someone asks you about your past and family life, just know Moses can relate. Just know Moses can relate. It's a funny point, but it's also true, and it's good for us to consider how real and normal and enduring so many of the same struggles that people in the Bible are and have. Moses, one of the great prophets of Israel, grew up probably with an identity crisis. He didn't really, under, he didn't really belong as an Israelite. He lived in Pharaoh's house. He didn't really belong as an Egyptian because he was by ethnicity and blood a Hebrew. Some of you may feel that way. You know, third culture kids, you don't belong here, you don't belong there, you don't really know where you belong. Some of you may have grown up with abandonment. Some of you may have grown up with all these confusing things. And I want you to understand that Moses can relate. And so it is all throughout the Bible. There's so many ways in which the characters of the Bible kind of mirrors of the lives that we live. And we can see how God worked in them. And we can be confident how God is going to work in us. So when he grew up, he wanted to help his people. His people, by blood, are the people of Israel. But instead of doing it God's way, he begins to take matters into his own hands. This is where we begin to see the problem without the presence. Now, what Moses didn't know yet was that God was going to use Moses to save the people of Israel, but not the way Moses thought. Therefore, he became impatient, and he didn't trust God's timing. Now, here's where this applies to you and me, is that so often the sock that clogs up our spiritual life that prevents us from growing is one word, impatience. It's impatience. It's impatience with what the desire in our heart is and how we feel like we're not seeing anything helping with that, and so we take matters into our own hands and we do it our way. It's impatience to open my Bible for five minutes, not feel anything yet, and quickly move on to something else. It's impatience to try to live the life the Lord is calling you to live, and it not in the immediate term producing the desired effect, and so you give up on God's way. It's impatience. It's knowing that you can do something about your situation, but not sensing the peace from God that you ought to be involved in it yet, or that you ought to sleep this solution yet, but doing it anyways because that's what you want to do. It's impatience. The Lord has said so often in the Bible, wait on me. 
But we live in a culture of immediate gratification. We are discipled every day that if things don't happen right away when we want them to happen, that, that something needs to be fixed. And so we take that into our spiritual life and we say, well, let me operate according to how I think this should happen. Moses had a good desire to deliver the people of Israel. He had righteous indignation that the people of Israel were not being treated rightly, but he didn't do it God's way and God's timing. And some of you have good desires in your hearts and you're full of a cause or righteous justice or good, whatever it might be, but you still must do it God's way and God's timing. And the reason why your spiritual life is struggling so bad is because you are living according to impatience. And today God is calling you into a life of trusting him, following his way, doing things according to his will. What we begin to notice here is that Moses didn't even consider, it seems, consulting God as to how he thought Moses should go about this situation. But he took matters into his own hands and he began to force it. Is impatience clogging up your spiritual life and progress? Is a lack of waiting on the Lord preventing you from growing spiritually? Is being rushed and hurried throughout your day and even throughout your time with God the very thing that's preventing you from actually meeting him when you open up the Bible? It's patience the Lord is offering you this morning. It's patience and the fruit of patience, which is a deep relationship with Jesus. So impatience, we see this in the life of Moses, we see this and I see this in my own heart all the time and I'm sure you see it in yours as well. So consider, is impatience the very thing that's clogging up my spiritual life? I had a friend tell me once that it takes a mile for a train to slow down and stop and so it is in your spiritual life, it takes at least 10 to 15 minutes for you to be slowed down and stopped enough to be present with what you're doing. A train isn't stopped for a mile and you're probably not mentally, emotionally aware until you're probably 10 to 15 minutes in of taking some time to either open the word or to be with Jesus or to pray. And how, how often is it true of so many of us that those first five to 10 minutes are the very minutes that we neglect and we say, well, it didn't do what I thought it would do or I, I give everything five minutes and so I'm just gonna hope this works out and we haven't even given it enough time to be present with God so that he could speak with us. Once again, this is not a whip or saying, oh, you're doing it wrong. This is an invitation to invite you in to a real face-to-face -face relationship with God by operating out of a fruit of a spirit, patience, as opposed to a fruit of the flesh, impatience. Maybe on the other side of your passing through the struggle of impatience is a whole world of a deep relationship with God. And that's what God is inviting you into this morning. But Moses had impatience, just like us, just like us, just like me. And this is what he tried to do. He tried to accomplish God's purpose without God's presence. He tried to accomplish God's purpose without God's presence. And so we must continue to see how vital the presence of God is for our life, this relationship face-to-face -face is. Because he doesn't consult God or consider God's purpose. He begins to take matters into his own hands. He goes through the motions, but he doesn't attach the meaning to it. And this turns out in disaster for him. And so many of us have done the same thing. Even in good intentions, we are trying to accomplish God's purpose without God's presence. We are trying to become good Christians without facilitating and growing in an intimate relationship with God. We are trying to learn more of the Bible without actually wanting to meet with God in the Bible, right? We're trying to be a good father without pursuing the presence of God. We're trying to walk in the purpose of being a good mother without pursuing the presence of God. We're trying to walk in the purpose of being a good employee without walking in the presence of God, to be a student without walking in the presence of God. 
God. We're trying to grow in our spiritual life without pursuing the presence of God. We're trying to walk in God's purpose. Once again, this is so many of us, well-intentioned, good, trying to do the right thing, but we're missing the mark because we're trying to do God's purpose to serve the world and to be good people, right, and to be kind to others. And we're trying to walk in God's purposes without living in God's presence. And so our Christian and spiritual life is more frustrating than anything else because we're going through all the motions. We haven't attached any of the meaning. And so the final product is not what we were, what we were looking for, a deep relationship with God. Are you trying to accomplish God's purpose to be who you're supposed to be, to navigate your season of singleness with purity and holiness, to date the right person and not date the right person, the wrong person? to navigate your season of parenthood and to love and discipline and lead your children well, to navigate your bad situation at work with the boss that you just can't stand? Are you trying to walk in God's purpose and do the things you know you're supposed to do but doing it apart from God's presence? You have all the accountability partners and all the locks on your computer and phone, but you find, can't find victory over your particular struggle because you're trying to walk in God's purpose without God's presence. You're trying to grow in holiness as an act of the will apart from allowing God's presence to transform you from the inside out. This is an invitation to you and me this morning for so many of us well-intentioned Christians trying to walk in God's purpose without God's presence and being frustrated with our current form of Christianity. And I want to invite you into another way of living face-to-face -face with God. And as you go through the motions of life, attaching the meaning of life to them. Some of you, I wonder if you've considered that the real problem of your life is that you don't have a relationship with God at all. The real problem of your life is that you don't have the secret sauce of life. The real problem of your life is that life is always in your own hands. The real problem of your life is that you have as much joy as you can muster. The real problem of your life is you have as much contentment as your circumstances allow. The real problem in your life is that you have as much purpose as you can come up and put causes in your heart. The real problem of your life is that you're trying to pursue life and purpose in life and peace in life, and you're doing all of that apart from God's presence. And God is inviting you in this morning, as we say every single week, to stop your search and stop looking in all these other places because your real problem is that you don't have a relationship with God, but God wants to give you one today through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. May you stop looking elsewhere and find the solution to your life in God's presence. So here's what I want us to consider. Really the main idea is that instead of face-to-face, -face, we live face-to-facts. What is the problem when I live apart from, either always apart from God's presence because I don't have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, which is some of you here or some of you watching online, and then for a lot of you as well, having a relationship with God but not living cognitively aware of the presence of God and pursuing him through your daily habits, and so you're living apart from God's manifest presence in your life because you're not positioning yourself in his word or with his people or in times of prayer and worship. And so what happens now is instead of living face-to-face, -face, we live face-to-facts. What this means is that we prioritize more what we can see and what we can do than what God sees and what God can do. And every day you are making a decision to live face-to-face -face or face-to-facts. And I ask the question to you, what are the facts of your current situation that you are facing? What troubles you 
What are the things in your life that you wish were getting fixed? What are the relationships in your life that you wish were resolved? What are the things going on with you and your feelings and your mental health and your physical health and your spiritual health? What are these things going on? What are the facts of your life and your circumstances? What are the things that you are facing? Because you can either live face to facts, which is prioritizing what you can see and what you can do about it, or we live face to face, which is prioritizing what God sees and what God can do. Listen to me, when you live face to face, face to facts, then you cannot see his face. But when you live face to face, then the facts will not overwhelm you. Whichever one you prioritize will push out the other thing. Because this is how so many of us are, with our iPads, our iPhones, whatever it might be, and just all the situations of life, right? We're living like this every day, and we're wondering what's going on with us. We're living face to facts, and so we're either in the physical phone, and we're looking at it, how many likes did I get on this? What's going on with this person? What that person's house is like? How are they living their life? Are you getting all the news coming in and saying, what's going on over here and over there and over there? What did the Republicans say about this? What did the Democrats say about this? What did our president say about that? What is happening over here? What's going on? What's the pain going on in Europe, in the Philippines, in Africa? What are all the situational problems going on in the world? I'm going to receive all that information, and then I'm going to look at all the people I know, and I'm going to text, and I'm going to call, and I'm looking at all these things, and I'm spending my whole life facing the facts, and the facts are overwhelming me, and they're so consuming my life that I can't even see his face, and I can't see what God is doing or what God is like or what he thinks about these facts, and the facts have overwhelmed me, and the facts are consuming me, and therefore this is causing me great sorrow and I can't see very clearly and this is how we live our life but then God gives us one more option is that instead of living face to facts that we would live face to face and when our face is consumed with who God is and what God says we'll just let it all follow if my face is consumed with this who God is and what God says then the facts are not going to overwhelm me so many of you are living this other way and you're saying, man, man, I wish I had a deep relationship with God. And all you got to do is this. <laughs> you're like, pastor, pray for me. I wish I had a deep relationship with God. I'm like, my prayer's not going to do nothing for you. Get in the Bible. But look, when I'm doing like this, and then the facts try to come into my life, you know what the facts have to go through before they get to me? Faith. They have to go through faith because I'm face to face with God. Are you kidding me? God, who rules over everything, the sovereign Lord who loves me and died for me. So every day I'm filled with the love of Jesus. What can come against me if God is for me? Every day I'm reminded of his power. Who can overcome me if God is on my side? Every day I'm looking at him. I'm saying, what's more beautiful than Jesus? What's better than Jesus? I have everything that I need in Jesus. And so bring it on, world. The facts won't overwhelm me because I'm filled with faith. And you're deciding every day, every day, every day. Do the facts have to come through faith? Am I living face to face with God? Or am I making myself vulnerable to the facts overwhelming my life? Because every day you are choosing, and a lot of this is just how you spend your time, whether you're going to live face to face with God and let your faith be transformed or whether you're going to live face to facts and let the facts of your life overwhelm. And let the facts of your life lead you into making bad decisions. And let the facts of your life lead you into taking control of your situation. And the facts of your life lead you to going ahead of the will and the way of God. Because if you are faced with the facts only, then you will do what you can do to solve the situation. 
But if you are living face to face with God, then you will trust God's will and way to work out the facts of your life. Do the facts have to come through faith to get to your face? Or do they have easy access to manipulate, overwhelm, and stress you out? Part of the desire in these 21 days is to simply put some practical emphasis on stop doing this. If I say change your life and stop doing that all the time, it's so overwhelming and none of us know what to do. But here, here we're saying 21 days. You can do anything for 21 days, okay? Anything. 21 days to say, okay, take this time, please, and consider, man, what is it that's getting in my head? How can I give God more time and attention? What are the little things in my life? They're not even necessarily sinful, but they're just getting in the way. They're not allowing me to abide in the truth of God's word or seek his face? What are those things? How can I simply give them up for this time so that I can give God my divided and undivided attention and focus so that I can see what he would do? And maybe prayerfully that will turn into a life habit and transformation, but just think. Now it's only 14 days. I'm living this way and you know it. I know it. It's killing you. It's not like, oh, this is so good. No, it's killing you. It's empty. Even when life is going great, if you're not attaching the meaning of life to those emotions, you're still empty even when you're successful. What's the point? And so now God is offering you. Say, man, throw that down. What are you doing? And put this in your face and let me transform your life. God is offering you a relationship with himself. A real, vibrant, change your heart, change your life, make you excited, peaceful, happy, and purposeful, and content relationship with God Almighty that leaves you feeling strong in his presence and allows you to handle all the facts of your life. You don't enjoy being overwhelmed by the facts of your life. You don't enjoy the facts of your life stressing you out. You don't even enjoy trying to manage all these things with your own mental and physical strength and relational strength. And God is saying to you, man, stop that. Here I am. Let me carry the burdens of your life. Let me fill you with faith. Let me remind you of my love. Let me encourage you with my presence. I'm offering all these things to you so that you could handle the facts of your life. But instead of living face to face, we live face to facts. This is what Moses did. It says in verse 11, he looked on their burdens, and then he looked this way, and then he looked that way. What does it say? Seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian, and he hid him in the sand. Moses acted upon what he saw with what he knew to do without considering how God would want him to handle the situation or even go about delivering his people altogether. He saw no one, and so he thought he wasn't accountable. But God was there all the while. He saw no one, and so he thought he was the only answer to the problem. But God was there all the while. He saw no one, and so he took matters into his own hands. He saw no one, but he didn't look for God. Maybe that's true in your life when you're looking around and you're looking for help and guidance and leadership and support. Or maybe you're looking around and you're thinking, well, I can do whatever I want. There's no accountability. Maybe you see no one, but it's because you haven't looked for God yet. And all the while, God is there, ready and willing to lead and to guide and to bless and to grant wisdom and direction and fullness of joy in his presence, salvation and forgiveness of sins through the death and resurrection of Jesus, purpose through living with his mission and cause in eternal life. All the while, God is there. And all the while, God is the answer for everything you've been looking for. 
We learn from the end of chapter two this. It says, their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. So God heard. As opposed to looking around and thinking nothing's happening for these people, all the while the reality in heaven is that God heard, God knew, God saw, and God remembered. And the devil wants to tell you that lie in your head, say nobody sees, nobody cares, nobody hears, nobody remembers. And that leads you into places of loneliness, really bad decision-making, taking control of your own life, doing things your way, because you looked around and you saw no one, but you didn't look for God. Psalm 46 says, God is our ever-present help in trouble. And so that's what God wants to offer you this morning and throughout all of your life is that the greatest solution to anything in your life is the presence of God, is God himself. And maybe, just maybe, God has answered your prayer, but he didn't give you the solution that you thought And so you consider the prayer unanswered. All the while, he has granted you a greater experience of his presence with you. What if God's answer to your prayer was more of himself? And that he would lead and guide you in the midst of your struggle. Maybe some of you look around and you see no solution. So you take your joy in your own hands. Nobody else is going to do this for me. You take your happiness into your own hands. Well, all these people hurt me. I gotta figure out how to be happy. You take your purpose into your own hands. You take your peace into your own hands. You take your fulfillment and pleasure into your own hands. You look around and you see no one. And so your solution is to take all of these matters into your own hands. And so you hear what the world says and you say, yeah. You say, I'm gonna live my truth. You taking it into your own hands. You say, I'm gonna express myself so that I can take control of my own life. And all the while, you live your truth, but you don't find the truth. And you seek to express yourself, but you never find yourself. Because you looked around. You saw all the options the world was offering. You considered that to be no one, and you took matters into your own hands and thought, I'm going to find joy, purpose, satisfaction, salvation, forgiveness, peace. I'm going to do all that on my own. And it has led you hopefully to this place, even though you're feeling empty, you're sitting in this seat or you're watching it online and you're hearing that the Lord has another way because all of the motions without the meaning makes everything meaningless. You see what I'm saying? You can do anything, don't care. You can accomplish anything, don't care. You can attach, you can, you can do it spiritually. You can do it for church stuff. You can make it religious. You can do any of that stuff to try to navigate the feelings of your life or to try to find what you think you're grabbing for and searching for. You can try the world's way. You can even try a church's thing. You can do all of these things. You can go through all of the motions to be successful and to get to the top and to find all these friends and to get enough followers and to do this and to do that and to get healthy in this way and to get that way. You can do all of those things every day of your whole life and never come and go anywhere because you never attach the meaning to it, which is a relationship with the living God. So you looked around, and you didn't find any joy, and so you thought, I'm going to go get it myself. And then Jesus said in Psalm 16, 11, in my presence is fullness of joy. 
You looked around, you thought you were going to find purpose. You attached yourself to some cause. And God said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do everything I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You're looking for these things, and the solution is the presence of God. And you can try any motion, but if you don't attach the meaning, it's going to be meaningless. And so where does this part of the story end? Where does it end? Well, look in verse 15. He fled from Pharaoh. He stayed in the land of Midian. He marries a girl, and he has a son named Gershom. And it says, the name of the son was, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. So Moses ends up away from where he belongs. The end of this chapter is Moses running away from his problems in a place that he doesn't belong. This is the result of ignoring God. This is ultimately the problem without the presence is you end up where you don't belong. You end up in the wilderness. Here's something you must understand. Please hear me now that God will always do a better job at your life than you will. Please, this is his offer on the table this morning. He's saying, listen, I'm way better at giving you joy than you could ever do. I'm the only person that can forgive your sins, so that's your only shot. I'm way better at giving you purpose. And he's saying, I want to lead and drive the steering wheel of your life. I want to give you wisdom and direction to know what you should do. I want to fill you with my love and my presence. I want to do your life for you. And God does a way better job at leading our lives than we do. And so to live apart from the presence of God is to take our life in our own hands. And to take our life in our own hands is to, in a sense, take them out of God's hands. God does a way better life, a job at your life and my life than we could ever do. And it would be just as foolish for me to go grab a hammer and keep hitting that washing machine, just hoping something happens and hoping by some inspiration I figure it out. And then you say, Nate, why are you so frustrated? And I'm like, well, I'm trying to fix this thing. You'd be like, do you know what you're doing? I'm like, no, I have no idea what I'm doing. And you'd be like, well, of course, that's kind of silly to keep doing, right? Don't you think you should call an expert? Maybe if you consulted an outside source, they would know what to do. And here I am speaking to you, and you got your hammer and your washing machine of your life, and you're just banging away. I hope this works. I pull this thing out, maybe this will work. I try to hit this thing, maybe that'll work. And you put your clothes in, and they still come out soaking wet. And you wonder what in the world's going on, and it's because you looked, and you never looked for God. And today, God, as the outside source for all of us, as the expert on life, is coming in, diagnosing the problem to say, we were living apart from my presence. And he's offering you now himself. You don't have to keep living apart from my presence. This is the beautiful news, and this is where we close, is that God can redeem your regrets. Listen to me. If you are currently in a wilderness because of your own bad decisions, you're currently somewhere you don't belong because you lived apart from the presence of God. You are currently in a place, and you feel like a sojourner where you are. You are currently struggling, down and out, depressed, and it's partly because of some of the decisions that you have made. You are currently in a wilderness, and God wants to today call you out out of the wilderness, and he's telling all of you who are in the wilderness to come back home. 
Come back home. You don't have to stay in the wilderness today. Come back home. Your decisions may have led you to a place where you don't belong, but I am offering you a place where you do belong in the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You know how this works? It's because Jesus came. He lived a perfect life, one you could never live. He died on the cross for all of your sins, all of your mistakes, all of your regrets, not some, not 90%, all of them, the ones you don't even know about yet. He took care of all of them so that when you are stuck in your wilderness because of sin, he can call out to you and say, I already took care of everything you're ashamed of, taken care of, come back home. Everything that you've done wrong, taken care of, come back home. Everything you're afraid of, taken care of, come back home. Everything you worry about, taken care of, come back home. Every, all the mistakes you've ever made, every regret you ever had, taken care of, come back home. Your emptiness in the wilderness, I can fill you up, come back home. Sad in the wilderness, I can bring you joy, come back home. Purposeless and wandering around in the wilderness, I have a cause for you to live by, come back home. This is the call of Jesus this morning for so many of you is to come back home through faith in Jesus Christ. You do not have to wander around in the wilderness anymore. Anymore. God can, God will, and God loves to redeem your regrets. So are you living face to face or are you living face to facts? God is inviting you in once again into a real, vibrant, life-giving relationship with himself through Jesus Christ. Why don't you go ahead and close your eyes. We're gonna pray. I wanna give you some directions first. There's an index card on your seat. And I want you to take some time when I'm done praying and as the band gets going to respond to the Lord. And I want you to write down something you're committing to for these 21 days, a prayer for these 21 days, something you hope to see God do in these 21 days. Maybe in this time together you have the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, has diagnosed some of the problems that might be clogging up your spiritual life. And maybe now you identify and commit to throwing the socks out of your drain. Whatever it may be, I want you to take some time, a minute or two or more, however long is needed, and I want you to write something down. The reason for that is just to take it from your mind into the real world. It fleshes it out for you. It makes it more real than just feeling it in your heart. So write it down, and then come drop it off in one of these baskets and let that be an offering unto the Lord. And may today, even if you haven't stepped in yet, may you commit to really taking these 21 days seriously so that you can meet with God and so that God can change your life. There's a basket up at the top of the balcony as well for you guys. And so I'm gonna pray, and then I want you to take some time to respond, write it down, drop it off. And then if you need prayer, we'll be down front at the altar. If you just wanna leave something at the altar as a way to say, yes, Lord, I'm committing to this, come do that, please. Either way, we'd love to help you respond to God. So let me pray, and then we'll, we'll sing and worship and respond to Jesus. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you that you want a relationship with us, little, sinful, crazy human beings that we are, rebellious, undeserving. And you say, man, I love you anyways. And so we thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for your kindness to call us back from the wilderness. I pray, Lord, that you would mark these people, that you would mark this church with a vibrant, very much so alive relationship with you. That the mark of a person here would be that they know and love the presence of God. That the mark of our services would not be good music and good sermons, but the presence of God. That the mark of our life and ministry as a church would be a place known for your presence. 
and a people known for your presence. Lord, we love you. We commit to this together, and we ask for your help. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you take some time to respond to the Lord? And you can drop it off whenever.